Hi friends, Justin Hibbert here. Can I ask a huge favor? If you're blessed by this podcast, if you've learned something from it, if this has been helpful to you, would you do me a huge favor and buy me a cup of coffee? Okay, don't really buy me a cup of coffee, but pretend like every month you're taking me out for a cup of coffee. How do you do this? You become a patron. It's just $5 a month to become a patron. It's the cost of a cup of coffee. It's all I'm asking. If you could be so generous in doing that, it will go a long way in supporting me, this podcast, and some big plans I have for Why Catholic. All you need to do is go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Thank you for your help. God bless you. For five years, I worked at a Protestant Christian school. Every week we had chapel, and I was in charge of the order of the worship service and the music. I made it uber contemporary. We had a few worship songs led by a band, and then someone would give a message. It was like attending a mainstream evangelical church. In my last year teaching there, the school hired an Anglican pastor to be the chaplain, and he introduced some liturgical elements into our very modern chapel service. Specifically, after the first song, we would say a corporate confession of sin and then recite the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was well-received until we got to the line that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It was then that you could almost hear a collective grimacing. Wait, we didn't believe in the Catholic Church. Yeah, we believed it existed, obviously, but we didn't believe in its legitimacy. We were a reformed school, after all, affiliated with the Presbyterians, but with a diverse teaching and student body across Protestantism. The Anglican chaplain sensed our hesitancy when we recited the creed and chose to issue a clarification. He said, when we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not saying that we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not the big C, it's a little C. Catholic just means universal, and we believe that every Christian is part of that little C Catholic Church. Crisis averted. But today I want to ask this question, was he right? Does being a Christian, no matter what denomination, mean that you are indeed part of the Catholic Church? That's what we're going to explore in today's episode on Catholicity. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. Since episode 51, we've been talking about the phrase from the Nicene Creed, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, exploring various facets of what it means to be one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Today, I want to hone in on this word Catholic. What does it mean to be Catholic? Or to put it another way, what is Catholicity? Let's start with a little context. In episode 64, I mentioned that the early church faced three persistent problems, persecution, power struggles, and heresies. The Roman Empire brutally persecuted the Christian church, often targeting bishops. With a vacancy in the bishopric, opportunists jumped in and appointed themselves the bishop in order to spread their heresies. As a Protestant, I admired some of the church fathers like St. Augustine and St. Patrick, but I would dismiss their Catholic faith because I would say something like, the Catholic Church was the only church in their day. I was reading through St. Irenaeus' work Against Heresies written 180 AD, and boy, I couldn't have been further from the truth. There were lots of heresies, lots of different twists on Christianity, lots of independent churches led by self-appointed heretics. When the Church Fathers wrote the Apostles' Creed, estimated around the 2nd century, they attempted to define a standard statement of Christian beliefs. So when someone asked, what does a Christian believe, they were met with a succinct, universal, and orthodox statement. 
As time went on, new heresies arose, new so-called churches popped up here and there. As we talked about in the last episode, episode 65, entitled From Doctrine to Dogma, the church would sometimes get together in a formal process called a council to address particular heresies and clarify its orthodox positions. At the Council of Nicaea, they met to address the heresy of Arianism, and out of that council came the Nicene Creed, which expanded on the Apostles' Creed. Instead of just the statement, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, they added the words one and apostolic. I believe in the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. These are the words of the Nicene Creed. There were lots of groups back then that likely claimed they were the true Catholic Church. But the Nicene Creed stipulates that there is only one church and that one church traces its roots back to the apostles. So how do we know which church is legitimate? Tertullian tells us in his work, Demerer Against the Heretics, written around 200 AD, he states, quote, The apostles founded churches in every city from which all the other churches, one after another, derive the tradition of the faith and the seeds of doctrine, and are every day deriving them, that they may become churches. Indeed, it is on this account only that they will be able to deem themselves apostolic as being the offspring of apostolic churches. Every sort of thing must necessarily revert to its original for its classification. Therefore, the churches, although there are so many and so great, comprise but the one primitive church founded by the apostles from which they all spring. In this way, all are primitive and all are apostolic, while they are all proved to be one in unity. End quote. Skipping a little further ahead, he continues, quote, Then let all the heresies, when challenged to these two tests by our apostolic church, offer the proof of how they deem themselves to be apostolic. But in truth, they neither are so, nor are they able to prove themselves to be what they are not. Nor are they admitted to peaceful relations and communion by such churches as are in any way connected with apostles, inasmuch as they are in no sense themselves apostolic because of their diversity as to the mysteries of the faith. End quote. In other words, when a random fellow claimed to be a leader of a church, they would simply ask them, who ordained you and put you in charge? And who ordained that person and put them in charge? If their answers didn't demonstrate an unbroken line to the apostles, then they weren't a legitimate leader and their church was also illegitimate. It was not part of the Catholic Church. So what does it mean to be Catholic or what is Catholicity? I want to propose four ideas. Universality, wholeness, submission, and membership. First, universality. The word Catholic comes from the Greek word katholikos, meaning universal. In other words, the church isn't just this local church here or there. It's something much bigger than a parish. To be universal, it must not be limited by space or by time. I've been a part of independent churches as well as various denominations. For example, I've been a part of an independent church that then grew into a network of affiliated churches. I was a part of a fairly large denomination called the Presbyterian Church of America. An independent church is simply independent. A network of churches is just a small group. A national denomination is confined by political borders. A universal church expands beyond the walls of a building and beyond national borders. Furthermore, universality doesn't confine itself to time. In other words, it doesn't merely consider the contemporary perspectives of leaders or a limited time frame of perspectives like the last 500 years. It considers the entire perspective and scope of Christianity. Not only what did biblical characters believe, but also what did their successors believe, and so on, all the way to the present moment. We call this tradition. By the way, every Christian values tradition and uses tradition in how they interpret scripture. 
This isn't merely a Catholic thing. We all use others' opinions and viewpoints in understanding Scripture. Believe me when I say that Protestants do it just as much as Catholics. The difference is that Catholics don't just consider more contemporary theologians. We go all the way back to the apostles and the very people that learned from the apostles and the people that learned from them, and so on. Universality also means wholeness. To be Catholic, you can't pick and choose. You must consider the whole. This is why the communion of saints is important, something I talked about in episode 52. Us people living on earth are not merely the church. No, we're part of that church that extends beyond time and space to those saints in heaven as well as those souls in purgatory. This is why our prayers often include the saints. For example, in our corporate act of confession, we say, quote, I ask Blessed Mary, ever virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God, end quote. We don't just ask our fellow Christians on earth to pray for us. No, we ask all of those in heaven to pray for us as well. And we pray for the souls in purgatory who are very much a part of the universal church. Wholeness also means we treat the church with continuity. The church didn't just one day pop up 20, 100, 500, or 1,000 years ago. It began with Jesus and continues to this day. Thus, to be Catholic means to honor the legacy of the whole church and recognize that the magisterium throughout the ages has always maintained the role of the church's teaching authority. This doesn't mean that the church has always acted infallibly, but when it does operate within the confines of infallibility, something we'll talk about at a later time, we honor it as such. As a Protestant, I'd often pick and choose which councils I accepted and which I rejected. For example, I was on board with the Council of Jerusalem and Nicaea, but the Council of Trent? Absolutely not. But the same church that gave us the decision of the First Council of Jerusalem is the same church that gave us the decisions of the Council of Trent and the Second Vatican Council and so forth. A Protestant friend once shared a line from the Council of Trent with me as though the council ruled that there was no such thing as justification by faith. When I actually read the broader context of the council's ruling, I found that he had completely misrepresented the council's decision because he left out its entire context. To be Catholic and to be faithful to the Catholic Church, it's important not only to examine the whole of these decisions, but also how one council's declaration fits within the context of the whole of all council teachings. Not only ought we to consider the council's decisions, but to be Catholic means to submit to them. There is always a temptation to say, I know better. We see this pervasive attitude of people who call the church old-fashioned or out of touch with the times. This is what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us that there is nothing new under the sun, and it's true. The moral problems the first century church faced are not much different than what today's church faces. What arrogance to think just because we live in the 21st century, we know better than Jesus' apostles and those who learn from Jesus' apostles. However, submission doesn't equal comprehension. To be Catholic, we must submit, even if it means submitting to ideas and standards we don't completely understand. When we ask our children to obey, we don't expect that they will always understand. They don't have the mental capacity to foresee the negative and even dangerous consequences that loom on the horizon. Likewise, faith doesn't require us to explain the intricacies of hefty theological concepts. In essence, this submission, this obedience, is the substance of faith. Faith doesn't mean we can provide a theological defense for our practices. We don't ask an eight-year-old to defend their thesis on the Eucharist before taking First Communion. No, faith is believing and trusting even, and especially when, we don't understand. 
Abraham didn't say to God, okay, God, before I slaughter my son Isaac, I need to explain in detail what is going to happen. No, he trusted God. The disciples had no idea what was in store when they said yes to following Jesus. Faith is hoping. Faith is putting our trust in the magisterium and following, not because we completely understand, but because we believe the magisterium understands better than we do. And because we believe, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is in charge, guiding the magisterium. I've been reading one of the most countercultural papal encyclicals called Humanae Vitae, issued by Pope Paul VI in 1968. This reinstated the church's opposition to artificial contraception, which was becoming commonplace during the sexual revolution. It's easy to thumb your nose at this encyclical and say that the church was out of touch with reality, but look at our world and what has become of this hypersexual culture without regards to morality. The cultural revolution has eroded the profound intimacy of sex and replaced it with one-night stands, single parenting, STDs, and abortion. What we see is the result of a society that tells the church, you don't know what you're talking about. Someone asked me recently what I think of those prominent pro-choice politicians. I responded by saying, I don't know why they're Catholic. Why be Catholic if you're going to thumb your nose at the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church? It's like calling yourself Catholic without any interest in being Catholic. This brings us to our final point. While Catholicity means universality, wholeness, and submission, it also includes membership. We submit because we belong. In the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how Protestants justify saying the Apostles and Nicene creeds by clarifying that the word Catholic does not refer to a specific church, but to all Christians. As long as you're a Christian, you're part of the little c Catholic Church. However, this completely ignores the historical context of these creeds. The Church Fathers included these statements about the Church specifically to address those self-appointed leaders of congregations that rejected the authority and teaching of the one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. Consider what St. Ignatius of Antioch, a disciple of St. John, said in his letter to the Philippians, written in 107, quote, And as many as shall, in the exercise of repentance, returned into the unity of the church, these two shall belong to God, that they may live according to Jesus Christ. Do not err, my brethren. If any man follows him that makes a schism in the church, he shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If anyone walks according to a strange opinion, he agrees not with the passion of Christ. End quote. I was attending a Presbyterian church during the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. They made a big deal of the event. One moment that stands out to me was a leader praising God for Martin Luther splitting apart from the evil Catholic Church. But what Ignatius of Antioch says here is that schism is the opposite of Catholicity. One cannot claim to believe in the Catholic Church while simultaneously celebrating schism. To be Catholic is to embrace the Catholic Church because we belong to her. So to answer the question I proposed at the beginning, since Catholicity requires submission and belonging to a universal institution, Christians that reject the communion of saints or the apostolic authority of the church are not Catholic. Let me ask another question. Is there a place to disagree with the leadership of the Catholic church? Certainly. In the show notes, I've included a link to an article from Pints of Aquinas called What Catholics Owe Pope Francis. I think this is a very fair article and shows the nuance of Catholicity. The Catholic Church must always be reforming, 
But let's talk about what reforming is and isn't. At the same time that Martin Luther called for reform, so did individuals like Ignatius of Loyola and Arian Boyens. The difference is that Martin Luther was a schismatic who completely rejected the Pope and church authority, while Ignatius instituted reform by founding the Society of Jesus, a.k.a. the Jesuits, and Boyens became the next Pope, Pope Adrian VI. Reform does not mean schism. In fact, it's disingenuous to call the Protestant Reformation a reformation at all. It was a revolution meant to undermine and overthrow the Catholic Church. But just as the magisterium has certain constraints on infallibility, so our disagreements with the church must also have restraints. When a church council convenes and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit makes a decision, we ought to accept that decision as our own because we belong to the church. However, not everything a pope or a bishop says is considered infallible. In fact, infallibility has very tight restrictions. Furthermore, just because we disagree with someone or we disagree with the magisterium on a particular issue doesn't negate loving, honoring, and supporting and obeying. This is a lost art in our society. We see so often that disagreement leads to canceling. More and more, we see this public shunning and ostracization, treating someone or something we disagree with by pretending they don't even exist. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it shouldn't be that way in the Catholic Church. Let's end with a recap of what we talked about. To believe in the Catholic Church means we believe in Catholicity. Catholicity isn't being a yes man. It doesn't mean we can't at times disagree. But Catholicity brings with it the understanding of universality, that the church extends beyond time and space. It brings with it the idea of wholeness, that we embrace all of the church in its continuity. It brings with it the idea of submission. We submit ourselves to the magisterium as an act of faith and trust. And lastly, Catholicity includes the idea of membership. We don't just pay the church lip service, we actually and materially belong to it. This is what it means to be Catholic. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it, and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.